Hey folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history, and with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. And welcome in, everybody. It is another installment of JC and Morgan the college football podcast that you love so dearly. It is so close to your heart. It is like an extra member of the family that you cuddle, you caress, you take care of, and of course you listen to at all times. This is episode number 149 by my uh, unofficial count, JC. So we're embarking on a, a milestone and we continue to uh, to grow this. And we've got kind of a special uh, addition as we embark on 150 that we'll get to in just a second. But at first, I just want to say hello to you. I feel, I feel as if uh, you should have been here in Atlanta, which not wasn't that long ago you were living here, and you missed out on the Braves World Series championship, something that uh, is near and dear to my heart, not only as a fan, but as someone who worked with the team for five years, and I know yours as a lifelong Braves fan. I mean, look, this has been the, the, the South's team for so long, so so many People that have lived in this region of the country have grown up Braves fans, and you know the deal. It's been a lot of misery. It's been a lot of pain. It's been a lot of close calls. But for the first time since 1995, the Braves can call themselves champs. So I say congrats to the Braves. I know that's a congrats to you as well. Hello and welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, and certainly the team of my childhood. I tell this story often. 1988, I guess I was 11, 12 years old. Uh, I started getting into sports really heavily in the Braves. And, you know, I was still a kid, too. So on TBS, it'd start with the Flintstones in the afternoon. Uh, I'd get home from school, eat a bowl of cereal, watch the Flintstones, the Brady Bunch, Sanford and Son. You remember that lineup? Oh, yeah. And then the Braves. They went 54-106 and and lost 106 games. And I watched them all the way through to the end of September. I mean, I watched the Braves every single night. And I kind of got addicted uh, and then I sort of pulled for the Pirates, too, because my Little League team was the Pirates, you know, and I liked the the, the hats that they had with the, the, the stripes on them or whatever. So the Braves obviously played the Pirates in the NLCS uh, during the uh, Miracle Run years, and I learned that I was more of a Braves fan at that point. And so, uh, yeah, you know, that's one thing a lot of SEC fans can agree on. You go from Mississippi over to South Carolina, kind of in that middle part of the SEC – and there's nothing but Braves fans. You know, Tennessee has some Cardinals and Reds fans. You know, lived in Nashville for a while, but a lot of Braves fans there too. But it's uh, it's sort of one thing a lot of SEC fans could definitely get behind is the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I know my first two years of doing radio there, you know, our out cue to commercial breaks, whether it was in-game or on the pregame show or postgame show, was – you're listening to the over 150 150 radio affiliates on the largest network in sports, the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. 
Uh, it might have been a little more concise than that, but you get the idea because of those 150 affiliates, we were reaching the, the Southeastern Conference footprint. You know, we if you were a Tennessee fan, you were a Braves fan. If you were a Georgia fan, obviously a Braves fan. Mississippi, Miss, uh, Braves fan. Um, I mean, even as far out in some cases as LSU, Braves fan, Florida, Braves fan. Um, you know, the Marlins came in 93, but make no mistake about it, much of the state of Florida grew up Braves fans and and still are Braves fans. So anyway, I, there, this is a college football podcast. We don't talk a whole lot of that, but I, I think because it's the Braves and because there's such a tie-in from the same people that we uh, are, are, are talking to and with on this podcast, the, the, the college football fans, many of which we, we have uh, are in the Southeast, they're also Brace fans, and they felt the joy of that as well. So I yeah. thought that deserved a mention at the top. If, if I'm not mistaken, Tim McGraw is from Louisiana, and I think he's a Braves fan. Is that right? Uh, I think there's a lyric in one of his songs where he talks about his dad being a Braves fan. So, well, I, and shoot, they're four hours from Houston, you know, in parts yeah. of Louisiana. Yeah. So uh, it's amazing that, you know, the Astros aren't really, you know, that popular in the South. And, 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 you know, because of the coverage of TBS, you have a lot of people around the country that are Cubs or Braves fans simply right. because those guys were on TV all the time. Yeah, and, and I think the Braves just have a Southern label, whereas mm-hmm. Houston really doesn't, if you've been to Houston, fine city, it just doesn't feel Southern per se. Uh, and so the Braves have kind of had that niche, and it's a it's a pretty big niche uh, for, for a long, long time. And uh, the irony is not lost on the people around here in Atlanta that you had a commissioner in the year that they were going to honor Hank Aaron in the year he passed, you had a commissioner that moved – the all-star game uh, for reasons he can't even describe, but he caved to pressure from certain elements, moved it to Colorado, uh, hurt this city in the terms, in in terms of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Many of those uh, businesses, by the way, minority owned and and did so with a flick of the pen. And so a lot of people will pretty much hate him forever and then to have the Braves come here and have three home games and light it up. If you're not familiar with the battery, the battery is like tailgating central. You didn't have that at Turner Field, which is one of the many reasons why they moved. And um, it, it was, as the kids say, lit for three straight nights. It was unbelievable. Atlanta takes a lot of crap as being a, a poor sports town. I get it. There's a lot of it's a transitory city and a lot of fair weather fan, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Atlanta showed itself very, very well. All right. Got that out of the way. Uh, something else I wanted to uh, introduce to the show is we've been flying. Like I said, we've been flying uh, just kind of blindly. I mean, we've we've had a purpose and we have some structure to this show. Uh, and obviously, you folks have enjoyed it kind of our freelance style for 149 episodes jc and i don't have these production meetings and we don't go over a ton of things beforehand we kind of flick on the mics and then just let it rip for an hour to an hour and a half and uh and talk what you folks love the most college football but it'd be nice to have we thought a guy that could help uh, add to the show and give it a little more structure a guy that both of us have worked with in the past uh, he's now much cooler than both of us combined because he's touring with bands 
like uh, Sister Hazel and Patrick Davis. He's doing stuff that we uh, probably wish we could do. We're, we're just sitting here talking sports in a microphone, calling games, running websites, all that kind of stuff. His name is Michael Haney. He went on to pursue his dreams in the Music City. So we've got Atlanta for me, JC in Chicago, and Michael, when he's not on tour, in Nashville, uh, helping bring this all together. First of all, let's say uh, hello, Michael. Uh, welcome aboard. We're glad to have you. Hope you are doing well. Thanks, Mike. That's like the, the sweetest intro I've, I've ever gotten from anyone. Thank you so much. I this appreciate is, that. And this is what I do. I'm good at throwing bouquets uh, and, and hammering some insults when, when need be. But we're not. Yeah, we're, absolutely. We're, you got to keep it in check. You, you got to keep, keep, keep it in check. Uh, but this is how we're going to when we've got Michael available. This is how we're going to start things off, JC. Uh, just kind of go through some headlines and to uh, to kind of let Michael bring it in as opposed to uh, me or you. It's Haney's hot headlines. And if we had like this mega produced show, we'd have a hot little sounder right there. And a 80s hot headlines, but we don't have that yet. So if that's going to have to suffice. Well, well, we do now, Mike, we're going to, we're going to record that. that? We're gonna, we're yeah, gonna that's a win. That's going to be put in. There you go. Please. That's, you know, that's what I bring to the table. When I let it rip, you never know. Mass produce that, that could be a million dollar uh, platinum hit in Nashville. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Real quick, before we get into the headlines, Mike, I, I do want to circle back around. JC, you are absolutely correct. There is a Tim McGraw song that mentions the Brave, and it's not just any old Tim McGraw song. It is the quintessential. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Where he says, wow. you got me saying sugar pie, honey, darling, and dear, and I ain't seen the Braves win a game all year. So we know Tim McGraw is also one of those happy Braves fans. Also, Book of John, which I think is about his dad. Uh, he talked about going through his stuff after he's a, it's a sadder song. <laughs> right. Uh, he talks about ticket stubs to a Braves game and then talks about some stuff from Vietnam. He brought back and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh he is a Braves fan and from Louisiana. So that's, and, that's the reach right there. So maybe it wasn't just the middle of the SEC. I probably know less about country music than both of you uh, by a mile, but I know I've heard other country songs that make Braves references. Right. I mean, it's not just him. They're, they're no, no, there's there's plenty. And there's a, a lot of uh, there's a lot of Georgia uh, folks up here in Nashville sure. as well that are, yeah. are very, very, very tied in with yes. that scene. So there's there's no question the absolute reach that uh, that TBS had on a generation of people. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. All right. Without further ado, uh, this is where we'd also play a hip little music bed behind it. I, I could just see it all coming together in my head. Haney's Hot Headlines. Michael, take it away. All right, Mike and JC, top headline in college sports this week. The college football playoff, Georgia, tops the poll. No surprise there, but behind it, maybe uh, another case for, despite having two teams in the top five, the Big Ten to say that they're just overlooked and they're hated and SEC bias. But we got Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon in the college football playoff top four. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I, I – um what was I, I was asked about this on a show the day of because it came out on Tuesday, right? Um, so I go on with our, our buddy uh, Jamie Bradford and Darren Goldwater uh, every Tuesday. And, and I thought – I didn't think this is the way it necessarily would wind up, but if they asked me point blank who are the best two teams, I said it's Georgia and Alabama. I said I, I know that's not necessarily the best resume, but it's, it's Georgia and Alabama. But I didn't know if that would exactly turn out that way. Well, it did. And of course, with that, it's always going to be it's SEC bias. You're not letting the little guy come in. 
Cincinnati obviously has uh, a legitimate gripe, but I, I'm not just not going to argue with that because it, again, it's not just the eye test. Like we always agree, right? JC, that the boys in Vegas, they have no emotion about any of this. All they care about is bottom line facts. They want to make money. They want to take your money. So when they're coming up with point spreads, it's not about emotion or conference allegiance. Is there anybody other than Georgia that Alabama would not be favored over? No, I, I don't think so. I had no problem with the top two. I, 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 uh, my problems with the initial rankings were again, and I guess when you're dealing with human beings and not computers, that you you know consistency isn't always there because the committee changes every year. Uh, I keep getting back to Notre Dame in 2018, and Notre Dame went undefeated. And basically, because they went undefeated, they got in. You look at that schedule that year, there were a lot of brand names on that schedule Notre Dame had. They had one quality win. FSU was five and seven. Southern Cal was five and seven. Virginia Tech was, I think, six and six, barely made a bowl. Um, But they had wins over those teams. And so on paper, you're like, oh, pretty good. Really, they had one quality win. It was against Michigan in the opener. Um, and that led them to the playoff. Well, what's the difference, in my opinion, between what they did and what Cincinnati's doing? And Cincinnati has, um, you know, Indiana's not great this year like they were last year, but they have a road win against a Big Ten opponent that wasn't close. And then they beat Notre Dame in South Bend. So, you know, how are they not given the same treatment? Is it because of brand? Um you know, and, and and you know, Mike, I am one that never thinks a group of five teams should ever make the playoff ever, uh, unless we go to 12. You know, I just rarely are there the times where, you know, a G5 school can match up strength of schedule wise. And maybe it ends up that way. But right now, I was just, I was just sort of surprised that uh, Cincinnati was kind of a, a, as low as they are. Uh, I expected them to kind of squeak into the top four. Now, as it stands, they don't even control their own destiny. They don't have a very good schedule left. Um, and so you sort of have to count on an Ohio State losing or a Michigan State losing or or whoever. But um, I guess they're still in pretty good position. I, I just – the inconsistency and the devotion to brand, and I know it's a fact of life in college football, but it, it kind of just bothers me because it's like – you know, you have that situation with Notre Dame. You have the 2014 situation where, oh, TCU and Baylor, you're both out. If that were Texas and Oklahoma tying for the Big 12, you know, one or both of those teams would have gotten in. And well, so, you know, it, it just it, – that, that kind of bothers me. That's the, only, that's the only problem I had with it. I certainly think Michigan State is worthy and, uh, you know, certainly agree with you, Mike. Georgia and Alabama are the top two teams. And uh, regardless of Alabama losing to A&M, um, you know, I don't think, you know, there are very many people that, that could argue that legitimately. My, my, my issue was more with, with Cincinnati being that, that down there like that. Um, and then the comparisons to some decisions that were made in previous years. Uh, I, I think there's a couple things at play here. You know, first off, never get too upset about the initial poll. The initial poll doesn't mean a ton and, and hardly ever. Uh, is a forecast to what we're actually going to see in the final four poll. And in, in fact, if you go back and look at it so often uh, teams that are not even in the top 10 wind up in the playoffs. Uh, so th- this is nothing to like get completely worked up over. 
so do I care that, first of all, I, I think head-to-head has to matter. So the, the Oregon-Ohio State debate, it, that shouldn't be much of a debate. You have to put Oregon over Ohio State. But then where does Cincinnati play in? My thing is this. Like if you're going to be outraged over Cincinnati, and we're seeing that all over the place, on TV, on Twitter, et cetera, then where is your intensity for Wake Forest? Because that's a power five undefeated team. I don't hear anybody caring one lick. I realize it's a down year for the ACC. I realize they don't have a a quality out-of-conference win. But they are playing really well. They are undefeated. Uh, They do have a really good quarterback. Uh, Their offense is a a well-oiled machine. Like, Are we going to get all bent out of shape at Cincinnati, out of the American – but we're not going to we're not going to cause a fuss about Wake undefeated Wake Forest not being there. So that's the inconsistency is not only with the committee. The inconsistency is with the people who have the most vocal voices of criticism on the rankings. And and I just sit back and I look at it and I say, look, I don't agree with all this, but it's not worth getting worked up over because a lot of it will sort itself out. And yeah, it, this is no secret, okay? Brand matters and level matters, and that's just not going to change. So, yes, the brand of an Ohio State, an Alabama, is going to carry more weight than Cincinnati because these are not computers. These are 13 human beings in that room making this poll. And level, there are certain people that just can't get past the fact, power five, group five, power five, group five. There are a number of group five teams that are better than a number of power five teams on the whole. But in a lot of ways, people look at group five. How many times have you heard me say this, JC? Group five is the modern day one double A because they're so far behind the eight ball in TV money and facilities. It's like an entirely different level of football. Now, I don't think Cincinnati deserves that kind of pejorative on their resume. They are good. I watched them. They should have beat Georgia last year in the bowl game. They didn't lose their left tackle in the middle of the game. I think they do win that game. They're legit. There's no doubt in my mind, but unfortunately for them, they're not in the Big 12 yet. They are in the American now. The win at Notre Dame is good, but it's not good enough, I think, that it's going to propel them into the playoff. I'll make one point, then we'll move on about Wake Forest, too. Their last four games at North Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at Boston College. I I tend to think Wake sweeps those. They're going to be right there knocking at the door depending on what else happens because kind of the bulk of their schedule is coming up in terms of teams that, you know, have legit talent. I know North Carolina hadn't been great, as, as good as expected this year, and certainly Clemson hasn't. NC State's had a pretty good year. Boston College, tough place to go at the end of the year. Um, so if they win those four, Mike, I, I could see Wake moving up, definitely. And and even even if if they do and say it's them in Cincinnati, I would I could make a stronger case for Wake coming out of a Power Five conference, winning against whoever wins the uh, Coastal Division um, in in Charlotte. Uh, and you know, Cincinnati just doesn't have that many. Uh, teams left. I guess if Houston wins the other side of the American, that would that would help them or something. But you know, it, it's going to be interesting. But Wake, that, I think Wake 
has a, an opportunity. And, you know, I, I scratched my head a little bit on that too. I, I, and look, I, I want to make a point. I wasn't necessarily, you know, something like the AP poll has Cincinnati number two. And I, and I, I know what you're talking about. Some of these people that are out there that cover the sport don't like college football and they particularly don't like major college football, like power five schools and, and, and the, the big teams. And, you know, they're, they're always talking up group of five teams. Oh my God. The, the UCF thing a couple of years ago, right? Oh, God, mm. this team's really good. You know, and, and, and they tweet little snarky things. And the eight people had Cincinnati number two. Um, so, you know, the media and some folks like that are really, you know, going to lash out about this. That's not necessarily me. I just kind of was looking at the comparison and the the preferential treatment, maybe given an undefeated Notre Dame a few years back and, you know, the TCU-Baylor thing. Um, and, and so that, that's me. But I I, I do think that, it's going to be interesting with Cincinnati, and it's going to be particularly interesting. Let's say Wake does run the table, and it comes down to those two teams. I would take Wake if it did. If it did come down to those two, I know all due respect to Cincinnati. Now, I don't think Wake's going to run the table, so I think it's a moot point. But I, I, if, the, if those two happened, I'd be shocked if an undefeated Power Five team lost out to a team from the American, and this is not a great year in the American. This, this we've had some years in the American where there's four or five really good teams. That's not the case this year, Michael. All right, gentlemen, good stuff. Headline number two: the surprise departure of Gary Patterson at TCU mm-hmm. went out with a whimper. The uh, the Jerry Sloan of college football coaches. He's been in the role <laughs> since 1998. We don't see this kind of longevity anymore. The end of an era. For the Horn Frogs and TCU, he was offered a chance to to go out uh, in style with a Gary Patterson day and and have a, a nice parade surrounding his final times. And he's like, you know what? Eh, I'm good. I'm just going to go ahead and quit now. Gary Patterson done at TCU. Yeah, and if you know Gary Patterson, and I don't claim to be like buddies with him, but but back in the day. Um, when I was doing Big Twelve games for Fox, we did a lot of TCU games. We did a lot of like. TCU Kansas State type games Baylor when they were doing well and I can tell you like just sitting in production meeting uh, rooms with Gary Patterson Gary is a guy who marches to the beat of his own drummer he is fiery and he does not like dealing with any BS Uh, clearly Gary Patterson was one of the best success stories pre Big 12 Took him to a Rose Bowl one, I believe. Took him to another BCS bowl game. Uh, it didn't matter what conference TCU landed in. Gary Patterson and, and TCU, they were winning conference titles. They were just incredible. And then the question was, well, how would he do in the Big Twelve though? Well, they were doing pretty well there too. I mean, they weren't Oklahoma good, but they were on that next tier. And then all of a sudden, the last few years, it's just petered off. And, and my guess is TCU, he could see the writing on the wall. And, yeah, they might have offered him a Gary Patterson day and ring of honor and all that. And he just said, the hell with that. If you're not going to give me a contract extension, I'm out now. Uh, that's Gary Patterson. <laughs> he, he is – he is he is not one – like he's not looking for the Ed Orgeron goodwill tour. He's kind of like, uh, you know what, after all I've done for you – you're not going to give me a couple of off years the hell with you just speculating on that what it was i would i would just wrap it up uh, on gary to say this jc 
what he did at TCU to me is one of the best coaching jobs over the last 20 years. Uh, if you've been to that stadium since then, they have, I think it's called the Founders Club, where it's like these six ridiculously plush suites that cost, I don't know, something like $5 million a suite, $10 million a suite for a lifetime membership, whatever it is. Again, Texas money is different than regular big money. Um, he put TCU football on the map, and he, he, he was one of the hottest coaches out there, certainly could have taken other jobs, was loyal to that program and took it to to heights that they hadn't seen in a long, long time. So I, I commend him on all that. I don't know who gets the job, but they're going to be hard-pressed to, to accomplish some of the things that Gary did. Yeah, they're talking about Sonny Dykes from SMU across town. I, I never thought I'd see the day you replace Gary Patterson with Sonny Dykes. You know, I, and nothing against Sonny Dykes. Uh one of these things is not like the other, in my opinion. But uh, what about the Texas Tech job for Dykes too would be in play, I would think. Would be in play there. I, I've heard his name there. I've heard, uh, you know, uh, Art Briles coming back, which may or may not happen. Uh, he's a Texas Tech alum. Kendall Briles' name has come up with that. But uh, and you know, who knows who gets TCU? I I, I really think TCU is a an interesting job just because it hasn't been open in a while. Uh, I agree with the money and the facilities upgrades. They can pay with anybody. Um, But, you know, this also shows you here what loyalty gets you. I mean, you know, you have two or three bad years. um, And last year they were six and four during a COVID season. So I, I don't think it was that bad. And then, you know, this year expectations were again high. They started two and oh, but then lost to SMU, and that's a no-no at TCU. Uh, they lost a brutally tough game to Texas. I mean, I, I watched most of that game. I thought they had it. Uh, and then lost to Oklahoma. West Virginia beats them. And then, you know, the, the big loss at Kansas State, which is Gary Patterson's alma mater, uh, to end things. And, you know, I, you look at it, and athletic directors these days are under a lot of pressure uh, when things start to kind of go bad. Uh, to make a move, but uh, I still think Gary Patterson's a heck of a coach. There's an article, uh, I think, in the Dallas uh, Morning News or the Fort Worth Star Tribune that mentioned that he'd just be better off being a D coordinator because he's too eccentric. I don't buy that at all. I think college football programs need more eccentric head coaches, and if you look in the SEC West right now, you know, there's two of them at the Mississippi schools that are making things mighty entertaining. (laughs) And, uh, I don't. I don't know that we've heard the last of him. Maybe we have, uh, Michael. You know, Gary Patterson writes country music. Did you know that? I um, did not know that. How did he I is, know he's that? got an album, and uh, and I know this because I, I exchanged uh, DMs with him on Twitter about it one day, just out of curiosity. I was like, I'd like to listen to this, and Shooty answered me, <laughs> and he said, "Hey, here's my. I'm working on my album," and I was like, "Ah, it's cool." Um, yeah, that's, that's how I work my college football sources is, you know, I just talk to them about music and not football, but anyway, was it any good? Was it any good, JC? Yeah, it was actually solid, man. I I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I, I just always thought a lot of him, uh, I've always, you know, the word I've always gotten, uh, and in this article in the, in the local newspaper out there, it, it talks about how he could not land some of these jobs, uh, but they, he didn't, they didn't really cite anything past 2007, uh, so I don't, you know, lately, I mean, obviously I think he was, he's a name that's been on a list for a lot of good jobs. You know, what I was told 
not by Gary Patterson, but by, you know, folks at TCU was, look, it's a private school, so they don't really disclose how much he's making, but it's in the neighborhood of six to seven million. It's a lot. I've also heard that, you know, there's a private jet waiting for him running on the at the airport anytime he wants to use it. And so if he yeah. wants to take his wife to dinner in Chicago and fly back that evening, he can. Um, and perks like that, you just, you know, even if it's like Texas, who has a lot of money, I mean, you know, you're still, you're, you're still like, oh, well, we could match the seven, but with the private jet thing, we'd have to kind of work out. You know, not every school could provide uh, like TCU. And, and quite frankly, you know, after going through all they went through, think about this, man. They were in the Mountain West. And then they joined the Big East for like a year, and it collapses. And then all of a sudden, okay, opportunity. We can join the Big 12, and it took a year to get going. And then I guess year two, he goes 11-1 and one and should have made the college football playoff. Um, you know, and, and, and in that state, too, I know about recruiting in that state, TCU is not necessarily the top choice. You know, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor have to kind of scratch and claw and evaluate well. Um and, you know, TCU and Baylor have done that. Texas Tech does it on offense, not necessarily on defense. But, uh, you know, you're not necessarily Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. No. Uh, from they, a recruiting they, standpoint. They, they've been able to do it. I mean, you got – this is now – what Danny and Tomlinson was – he was pre-Gary, right? Was there, was there, or was there an overlap there? 21 years ago was Ladanian. I th- he might have had some of Gary Patterson. But my point is, is that it, – it, with all the success Gary had, you'd be hard pressed to name, you know, a dozen players that went on to the NFL and did great things. Like he didn't get marquee guys. He was winning with that next level recruit and he was beating teams that did get the four and five star guys. So he's 61 years of age. Uh, if he wants to coach, I'm with you. I mean, he's he not too eccentric. <laughs> the guy's a winner. Uh, he demands, certain things out of his players. I, I don't think we've outruled that just yet in today's culture. Um, it, it, I don't know if he wants to. He's certainly, if he saved his money well, he doesn't have to. He'd be great on TV, I'll tell you that. But his personality, he can get on TV tomorrow uh, and give you more than Urban Meyer ever gave you. But um, uh, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. By the way, that that now joins a list of fired coaches along with uh, – the coach today at Akron, how you fire an Akron coach in three years is beyond me. Eight openings now. LSU, Southern Cal, TCU, Texas Tech, Washington State, UConn, Akron, and Georgia Southern already filled their uh, void with Clay Helton. Michael? All right, and Mike, to that end, we're going to get back to to that and dig a little bit deeper to what you just said there coming up in one of our, uh, our final headlines here. But the next one up. Conference USA, conference realignment has been a huge story in, in college sports over the last decade plus, and it fired back up again uh, this year, obviously with Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC and all the other dominoes started falling. And Conference USA right now doing its best to stave off extinction, extinction and uh, being unceremoniously destroyed like House Tyrell and Game of Thrones. They are trying to add uh, Liberty, Jacksonville State, New Mexico State, and Sam Houston to uh, add there to uh, FIU, Louisiana Tech, and UTEP $2 million entrance fee into Conference USA, which <laughs> seems a bit much right now considering the circumstances. But, gentlemen, your thoughts on whether or not we will uh, continue to be calling Conference USA a conference? It's, it's really weird, man. I mean, I just feel like it's the, it's the 
Titanic is like 90% underwater and it's just this little tip of the ship and there's DiCaprio and Kate Winslet just, you know, waiting to go down with it. And you got one little piece of an iceberg and Kate's not going to share it with DiCaprio. So he's going to drown and die. I think that's the moral of the story. Um, I, I don't know if that's sexy enough to keep above water. I mean, would you almost be better off being an independent at that point? The Conference USA TV package, the new one, I have to believe it's going to be really low with what you're let it already like they're airing games on Facebook and stadium. And uh, again, we've talked about this, JC, this was a once very prominent group five league. They had a role in there for a while and then everybody just defected and then it became Sunbelt 2.0. Well, now it's becoming just like the leftover 2.0 league. If, if they're able to, stave off extinction and just add what they're talking about here to Mexico state, Sam Houston state, Jacksonville state. I, I I don't know. And I feel bad for like the Louisiana Tech of the road. That's a proud program there in Ruston and skip Holtz has done a fine job there. And now they're, they're left with this. Uh, It's almost kind of sad to see. Yeah. I mean, in the you know, middle Tennessee state and Western Kentucky, they're they're talking about the Mac, which, you know, it, 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 for those two schools geographically, the MAC makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's kind of right there. A lot of teams in Ohio. The further she goes, Buffalo. Those would be the southernmost members. But uh, yeah, I just I don't know. Sam Houston State moves the needle, and New Mexico State certainly doesn't. They're kind of like I don't know the. the they're, they're beyond the abyss. They're they're, they're like uh, <laughs> they're like. <laughs> Las Cruces is beyond the abyss. They're like that extra you always see in the TV shows and stuff, but you can't quite name him and you don't, he's not really all that good, and, but he's in a lot of stuff, you know, bartender or whatever. You and, leave Mario Lopez out of this. He was great on Saved <laughs> by the Bell. But, um, you know, and, and look, I, Conference USA, sort of the feeling around college football is that they, they did it to themselves. I mean, th- this is a league that had the audacity to stretch from – you know, Florida to Hawaii at one point and <laughs> 16 teams and all that good stuff. And it, it just never seemed to, you know, they kind of got cut by the American and some other stuff, never seemed to really get uh, get any traction after that. So you, you hate to see it. I'm, you know, for my folks that back in Nashville, I know some Middle Tennessee fans. Uh, I know Western Kentucky has a nice fan base as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Mac's probably a little more exciting. You can go to the road games and you know, just ride, drive right up the road to Ohio or wherever. Um, and, and so that's good. That's good for them. Uh, but th- this Frankenstein of a league, Conference USA, uh, yeah, I just I just don't know how everybody going into that league can, can keep it afloat. And uh, it, it kind of has a Big East feel. To me, like the end is nigh, and we That's just what it don't feels really like. Know. Yeah, requiem, requiem for Conference USA, and I, and I have to wonder if the other Group Five leagues are secretly pulling for this their demise, and it's just one less, you know, in in the clutter of non group non Power Five to compete with, and maybe a larger slice of the pie when when the money is doled out. I I don't know for sure how that's looked upon, but. Anyway, it just goes to show you, uh, once Oklahoma and Texas shocked the world, because no one saw it coming, if you're being honest, 
shocked the world and said, we're joining the SEC. You knew dominoes were going to fall and they were going to keep falling. And this is the way that works. They, they fall at the top and then they just cycle down and cycle down and cycle down. And we finally got to Conference USA. And here we are. Mr. Haney. All right. Well, somebody that didn't think that they were going to be in the headlines much this week. Dan Mullen, guys. Dan Mullen uh, learning. He needs to be a little bit more impeccable with his words. Kind of uh, got crossed up a little bit and caused a massive firestorm that goes beyond the performance of the team on the field. Um, saying uh, in his weekly press conference, we'll do recruiting when the season is over. And um, just started off a firestorm. I'm just going to read through a few actual headlines this week about Dan Mullen, just based on what, you know, I'll insert myself a little bit of a misunderstanding and how he, he said his words, but an open letter to Dan Mullen. It's not too late to change back to the guy who got off the plane and ignited Gator nation. Dan Mullen can start Gators long-term turnaround this weekend against a program that we're all very familiar with in South Carolina. Um, Dan Mullen makes his hot seat debut rankings on CBSSports.com. Whose seat is hotter, Dan Mullen or Jim Harbaugh? Uh, according to uh, Gator wow. Country, Florida could get much better or much worse, and it's up to Dan Mullen which way it goes. Uh, guys, it all staved from Kirby Smart saying in the postgame victory over their rival um, that it's 50% recruiting in college football. Dan Mullen was asked his thoughts, and uh, here we are uh, <laughs> a couple of days away from their game against South Carolina and um, a very, very interesting uh, slip and slide that Dan Mullen found himself on this week. Yeah, you know, a couple quick things. First off, that's a little gamesmanship by Kirby. Kirby knows that Dan doesn't like talking about recruiting. Kirby knows that Dan has never had the rep of being a great recruiter. And so Kirby rubbing salt in the wounds a little bit, reminding everybody just how important recruiting is to him. And he realizes the significance of recruiting. Uh, the implication could almost be maybe maybe my rival uh, down the road doesn't quite understand that the way I do. Uh, look, Dan Mullen understands they're, they're recruiting in season. Like this is a classic case of some coaches have better, quote unquote, bedside manner than others. And Dan just gives off that impression like, I don't give two you-know-whats about whether or not you think I'm recruiting hard enough. Yes, they're recruiting. And, JC, you can speak to this better than, than all of us in terms of they're, – they're, yeah, they're not recruiting the level of Georgia and Alabama, but they're certainly not recruiting the level of Purdue either. Like, they've been – their top 20 recruiting classes. It's not like they're not trying, but they're, they are getting beaten by some of the premier programs out there. Just real quick on the on the hot seat, and then I'll I'll turn it over to you. I, I I've said this before. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, Dan Mullen is not a perfect coach. Dan Mullen does not have the uh, uh, perfect approach to press conferences, and he's probably not going to tell. He's not going to go to a a Gator Club meeting and say everything you want to hear. There's a number of great coaches that have had that same knock. One Steve Spurrier would would qualify for that. Uh, and no, I'm not saying he's Steve Spurrier, but what I am saying is he's a really good play caller. They've been to three straight New Year's Day bowl games. They were in a, within an eyelash of beating Alabama and Atlanta last year and a missed extra point of beating Alabama this year. You could do a hell of a lot worse. And if you fire him and, and you look at the market for jobs out there, I went over that list, LSU, Southern Cal, 
if, if you're a Texas guy, TCU, Texas Tech, like who are you going to get? And are you, are you going to start going down the same path that Tennessee did just with slightly better results where you fire coaches every few years, but you're spinning your wheels. It's not making you better by firing them every few years. I, I would just, I would just throw a little bit of caution if you're putting Dan Mullen on the hot seat. I know Rick Neuheisel said today on his Sirius XM show, he, he thinks Dan Mullen is tired of this and he's looking toward the NFL. I can't see Dan Mullen working in the NFL personally. I don't know how much demand there is for Dan Mullen in the NFL, but every time we hear hot seat, we hear that thing floated around uh, about Dan Mullen as an, uh, a possibility for an NFL job. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you're Dan Mullen, I shoot, maybe you try it. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think his, the beauty of his offensive system is though. And we found out last year, Mike, it's not just, hey, dual threat quarterback, power run game, attack the perimeters, which is what makes it go in a lot of instances in most years, uh, both at Mississippi State and Florida. Last year, man, they were kind of a big, big old wide open passing spread team. I think they led the country in passing with Kyle Trask and Pitts and all those guys. Um, you know, Florida, since Steve, Steve Spurrier left, here's how long everybody's lasted. Zook lasted uh, – into his third year and got fired. Urban Meyer, six years. Will Muschamp, four years. Jim McElwain, two and a half. <laughs> uh, here's Dan Mullen kind of in year four, and, and, and they're, they're griping and complaining. And, uh, you know, Florida should be recruiting at a high level, but people also have to realize this. Steve Spurrier didn't win all those games down there because he had the best recruiting classes in the country, of course. And he mentioned it multiple times uh, against when he played Florida State or Georgia and won. You know, those guys have the best classes, but we seem to win the game. Um, you know, Dan Mullen is, is more of a Spurrier-type recruiter in the sense that he's going to go get the players he wants that fits it, fit his system and not going to get too caught up in chasing five stars that aren't interested and things like that. And Florida as a staff also has been kind of an early leader in terms of the, the transfer portal, uh, taking some guys before there was actually a portal and instant eligibility. And, and those guys have turned out pretty well. You know, they, they've hit on a lot of those guys uh, from the portal. Uh, and I get it. Whenever you're coming off a loss to, to Georgia this year, I think a lot of teams look in the mirror because you look and you see, okay, th this team's recruited in the top three for the past four or five years, and now their defense is probably the best, the most – I'll say this, the most impactful defense in terms of, you know, a defense that can impact a game. Maybe since 92 Alabama, you know. I was I was going to say, name a defense as good as Georgia's this year not named Alabama in the last – Yeah, I mean, you know, years. I'll go back pre-Saban. Uh, it was Gene's, the, the Antonio Langham team that, you know, that defense could change a game. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's – Copeland based, and Curry. Based on recruiting, man. I mean, you know, because they've, they've stacked them up. Now, that doesn't mean – and I think fans have to understand too – that doesn't mean Georgia's never going to lose to Florida again. Recruiting rankings don't determine outcomes. If I recall correctly, last year in Jacksonville – Florida had 38 at halftime. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it, it couldn't it, stop it's, them. It's year by year, you know. Yeah, and, had an and, NFL quarterback in Kyle Trask. Now they have two guys who struggle to to throw the football. 
And I think what you don't want to do is get too caught up in like things like recruiting rankings and ignore the why. Why is Florida four and four right now? Well, they got gutted last year. They lost a lot of players. Maybe some of the guys that they've had coming up haven't developed yet. You know, that kind of thing. That's football, man. And that's life in the SEC. And what you can't keep doing is is restarting. Now, I'll say this. This program has shown that when the Bull Gators want somebody out, they're going to get them out. You know, and then that's – I feel bad for Scott Strickland because Mullen is his guy. I mean, he had him in Mississippi Mm -hmm. State and all that. Uh, But if you're a Florida fan here, here's what you got to – you got to say, look, we're going to be favored in our last four games. We can get to eight and four, nine and four this year. It was a rebuilding year anyway. You know, go after Georgia next season. Georgia's probably not going to return everybody. Um, And, you know, except Dan Mullen, that you know, hey, man, he may not win signing day, but he's going to win a bunch of football games. And 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 that that's kind of what I would encourage Florida people to think. Unless you've got a absolute rock star no brainer coming to Gainesville to replace him, you know, I, I I even if they struggle, maybe let's say they go six and six and get upset by Florida State or South Carolina or somebody. Man, I I just don't I just don't know that you move on right. I mean, who who are you going to go get that's a better coach? Than Dan Mullen. Well, right. you know, I, I say this all the time. Fan bases think they can get whoever they want. Remember, Dan Mullen was the third choice. You had two high-profile coaches say, thank you very much, no thank you. And it wasn't because of the, the money. Ford has got plenty of money. You know, when, when they lost Scott out to Scott Frost in Nebraska, you say, well, that's his alma mater. Okay, why, why Chip Kelly? Does, does UCLA have more money to spend? Than, no. Chip Kelly just wanted, here's my term again, JC, path of least resistance. Because mm-hmm. even when things go bad at UCLA, they're not feeling the wrath of an SEC coach no. that, that's all over your ass for like 24-7. Like that's, so Chip Kelly said, I already had that nonsense in the NFL. I like the culture out here out west. A little more laid back for me. And, and so – Third choice last time. I mean, you know, be prepared to not get exactly who you want this time out. Uh, I think what happens, Grantham is fired, which is what everybody is, is clamoring. I'd have for. no problem. I, I think yeah. that should have been done. By the way, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. And 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 then you bring in a defensive coordinator. And when you've got a Dan Mullen who's not exactly overly exuberant about recruiting, if you surround him by assistants and coordinators that are then you can make up for that. I, I don't know if they have that right now. Keep in mind, they lost their offensive coordinator last year, Coach Johnson. can't remember where he went, but he uh, Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles. That's right. Okay, took an NFL gig. So, you know, you lose one coordinator. you got another guy who's constant. The fans are all over him. Uh, I think Dan Mullen stays. I think they shake up the staff a little bit. And the whole nonsense that, you know, they don't recruit in the middle of the season – that's uh, he he missed a nod. I mean, he's probably yeah. tired of hearing about it, you know. Because all right, right now Florida's twenty second in recruiting nationally. They're ninth in the SEC. This is going to rise. Let me just tell you, Gator fans that listen, and we do have a few. Jaden Gibson, the six five, one hundred eighty five pound receiver you got out of uh, Winter Garden, Florida, West Orange. He's a player. He's probably underrated. He's probably better than one hundred seventy fifth in the country. Chandler Smith from Bishop Moore in Orlando. He runs 4-3, and he's 6 two and a half. Okay, Jamari Lyons, a defensive lineman out of Melbourne, he, he can be an all-SEC player. 
for whatever reason, he's just a high three-star according to the composite rankings. But take it from somebody who knows, these are much, much – a lot of schools in the league, in the SEC, would love to be, quote-unquote, struggling and recruiting with these type of guys. On top of that, Nick Evers from uh, Flower Mound, Texas, the quarterback they got in this class is really good. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just – I think that people have to realize that in recruiting, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And then even then, you have to almost look back on it like two or three years down the road to see, hey, are, are we – what? Are, how are we really recruiting? How, how are we really recruiting? Nobody gave a, an ant's uh, passing of gas, okay, when Mississippi State went into Louisiana and signed a quarterback named Dak Prescott, and I forget the name of the running back. Was it what, Jonathan Williams? that they signed out of Louisiana to that year. And the next thing you know, Mississippi State's number one in the country in 2014 with those two guys. And, and yeah. you know, nobody, nobody came, it didn't even register. You, you'd have fired somebody saying you're not recruiting well. And, and, and they did. And I know those guys are the exception and not normally the rule. But I'm telling you, the Gators have some ball players coming, and they have a really good coach. And I just, uh, you know, I just don't see it. Even if this season, even if they lose a couple more games, I just don't see getting rid of it. And, a, and a, a top 10 recruiting class doesn't play like a top 10 team when you don't have quarterback, uh, when you have quarterback issues. Just look at Clemson. Uh, just look at some other teams this year that have struggled at that position. You can, you can have studs all over the place. If you're not getting good quarterback play, and Florida for the most part hasn't, you're not going to look like a championship-level team. I need more Haney's Hot Headlines. All right, gentlemen, and next headline here, um, sort of in the same vein, continuing with the the coaching news and the juxtaposition of when things are good versus when things are bad and the, uh, you know, the carousel and the judgments all going on, but things are not very judgy in Minnesota right now. P.J. Fleck, seven-year contract now, a couple of years extension through 2028 for P.J. Fleck. The Golden Gophers currently leading the Big Ten Western Division. Uh, at the moment. So we've got PJ Fleck signing that deal and also a shot at redemption uh, with Clay Helton uh, after his unceremonious ouster at uh, Southern Cal. He gets a chance now at Georgia Southern, a uh, five year deal worth $800,000 per season. So, guys, uh, the extension for PJ Fleck and uh, Clay Helton landed back on his feet. All right, good for Clay. Uh, glad he got another shot. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll probably do quite well. There's a lot of coaches that fail at the big time program and then take a job at a lesser level. And, and that's that rebirth of sorts. They shine. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. Now I'm mad JC at the PJ flex story. You want to know why I'm mad at this story? You have any curiosity why I might be the least bit perturbed? Cause he may, he should probably go pursue the Florida job if they fire yeah. Mullen. I don't know. Well, no. <laughs> Bill, because I I was going to be the smartest guy in the room and predict that he was going to take the Southern Cal job. I thought I for thought, years he could be a great fit out there. I mean, look, I've said this for years uh, before we took the Minnesota job. I thought Tennessee should have hired him. I thought he was the, the Bruce Pearl of football coaches in a lot of ways. You want to inject some immediate enthusiasm, adrenaline into your program. This guy just oozes it out of his pores. It permeates the locker room. Uh, I think a lot of people missed the boat, no pun intended, on PJ years mm. ago. And, and I thought, I thought this would be the year he says, you know, I love Minnesota and I've built some good things here, but I'm ready for something bigger. And so I was going to come on here on JC and Morgan and, and proclaim. I was going to proclaim it to be true 
that the Southern Cal job is not going to James Franklin. It's not going to Lane Kiffin or whatever the other names you've been hearing. It's P.J. Fleck is going to shock the world and take that job. But Minnesota just G'd him up again to the point where I don't think he's going. Well, and you've got a division there that, shoot, I mean, who do you have to beat every year to win that division? Wisconsin? I mean, you know, until Nebraska comes back and Illinois does something, I mean, you basically got Wisconsin and Northwestern. So when you talk about recruiting, Minnesota is a brutally tough recruiting job. His classes, Mike, have not been very highly ranked. But when you look at the players he's got, and he's evaluated well, he goes into the South, he goes into the middle of the country, he gets guys, uh, there's that enthusiasm level. Uh, you know, I uh, we were just talking about Florida, and I was like, okay, so who's a better X's and O's coach, P.J. Fleck or Dan Mullen? I'd say Dan Mullen hands down. I think Fleck's got some good coordinators that help him along, but he's basically a recruiter that needs to have good coordinators around him, that kind of thing. So let's say P.J. Fleck took the Florida job. Gators, you're going to recruit in the top five. I guarantee you, you read Florida, P.J. Fleck, shoot. You know, oh. yeah, he's going to get after it. And yeah. you're going to love signing day and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And then you're going to get to the season and you may not win as, as many games. I mean, you know, that's kind of it. Uh, I thought for Southern Cal, though, Mike, when you look at that program, take Florida out of it because I just figured I'd mention that. They need a guy like that. And, and, and people don't understand that Pete Carroll was, was in a lot of ways a rah-rah type positive energy guy. Okay, Nobody understood it because here's this coach that got fired from the Patriots or whatever, sixth choice. But the enthusiasm and the and, and sort of just the way he approached that job, it really resonated not only with the fans because he won, his coaching staff and all that, but with recruits, okay? Um, Pete Carroll, you would never have thought it because he's in the NFL, right? But he's one of the better, best recruiters of all time because he's just so relatable and nice and cool. Oh, yeah, man, great, bro. Yeah, you know, cool. And that's kind of who P.J. Fleck is. I've thought, you know, because Clay Helton was sort of on uh, firing watch uh, for two or three years, and I've talked to several of my friends, but P.J. Fleck should take that job, you know. Um, so I don't think you were too far off at all. Uh, I think, though – Southern Cal's probably not smart enough to make that hire. Uh, I, I hear they have a lot of dysfunction. I hear that it's it's they're struggling right now to get traction for the job. It may not be James Franklin. Uh, you know, James may stay at Penn State. But um, I just uh, – I, I think with that particular program, Mike, as we've seen since Carroll left, they are very adverse to going out and hiring like outsiders, you know, because think about it, man. I mean, uh, so you go to Kiffin, you fire Kiffin, then you hire Sark, right? The other co-coordinator Carol had. Well, then you get rid of Sark and, you know, Orgeron, or maybe it's Clay Helton. Well, then it goes to Clay Helton because he's right there on your staff. You know, then you, then you give Clay Helton all the time in the world, uh, and, and now there's really nobody else out there. And so what do you do? I mean, what what do you do? You go you go get you go pull it in another direction, man. You know, everybody's talking about Luke Fickle because the AD out there knows Luke Fickle. Do you really? I mean, I, no offense to Luke Fickle, everybody's won at Cincinnati, folks. Everybody, <laughs> starting with Mark D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Champions of Life Jones, 
Senator Tommy Tuberville won there. And, and, and Fickle's just kind of picking up the baton and moving forward. That's a program that's been winning for years. And I love Luke. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a Big Ten guy. Um, and, and everybody thought about that, and I'm like, wow, that, that's probably not going to be a fit in the Pac-12, you know? Um, and, and so that, that that's my, my whole comment there. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I think you're spot on. I think P.J. Flick would have been an amazing, amazing transformational type of hire at least for the enthusiasm that's needed out there right now. Um, and again, instead of rowing the boat, it looks like the Trojans yet again are missing the boat. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. That was off the cuff, folks. He didn't write that in their production meeting because we don't have production meetings. Very well played. That's a walk-off. Michael, I don't know if you can follow that, but but do you have anything left? In, in well, well, I did. I did have an addendum headline. to our to our final headline. It's more oh. of, a, I guess, a, an existential question like about the about the coaching carousel, which right. uh, I, I actually did write this down. So this isn't off the cuff, and I, I I'm not even trying to usurp you, JC, because that was amazing. And now I feel bad <laughs> saying what I'm about to say, but the coaching carousel got started a little earlier this year with Clay Helton. Uh, the, the coins got put in that ride a little a little soon, and it's been spinning really since the beginning of the year. And it was Gary Patterson's ouster at Kansas State that got Lincoln Riley speaking out this week. Um, just overall disappointed that we're seeing all of these coaching moves being made in the middle of the season, which really is nothing new. But Lincoln Riley, younger coach, been in the game now for a while, but he feels the opportunity to speak up against this. So I'll I'll give you a few quotes from Lincoln Riley, and, and we'll get to the overall question of what he's getting at here. Uh, for him, uh, he says, with the Texas Tech and and, um, and TCU jobs becoming open here, to see two guys out in midseason like that, one with a winning record and one who is undoubtedly the greatest coach in, in the history of his school – uh, seeing Gary Patterson go out in the middle of the season is just, I don't know. Um, I don't know what to think of it. I was sick when I heard the news, to be completely honest. I know it's a tough business. Our jobs are scrutinized. We're big boys, and we can live with big boy decisions. But, man, what he did at that place and to not finish out the year, I don't know. And Lincoln Riley added this comment. Uh, we may have to look at something maybe like the pros do or something like that that really draws some hard lines when firings can happen and when they can't. Gary Patterson not finishing a season at a place he built, man, that ain't right. And that's in quote from mm. Lincoln Riley. Gentlemen, uh, just some thoughts on whether or not college football, even without having a uh, uh, an overlord, if you will, um, is there a case to be made for uh, some sort of moratorium being put out for when firings can actually take place in a quote-unquote amateur sport? Oh, gosh. I mean, look, I don't like it either. And I think every coach looks at a Gary Patterson situation and, and plenty of others and says, hey, that could be me. And so they don't like it. Uh, you know, you might not go know Gary Patterson from Adam and you can still look at that situation and say, that sucks if that's where we are in uh, in college football. But that's where we are in college football. And there's there's no I mean, we we can't even find a governing body to put together a a playoff expansion right now. Um, I mean, we got a lot of people in a room talking, but nothing getting done. We, we have a disorganized and inconsistent NCAA that could be disbanded anytime. So I don't think there's ever going to be a rule that comes into place that says, look, there's, there's a wrong way and a right way. And the wrong way is to fire coaches in the middle of the season. That, that's just big business football. And that's, that's where we are. And 
uh, I, 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 again, in the case of Gary, he might've done it himself mid season, but the fact that he would even get fired at all, I think it, it rubs a lot of coaches the wrong way because it shows just how vulnerable you can be JC. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with Lincoln Riley here. And shoot, Texas Tech was five and three when they got rid of Matt Wells. Now, I think if you're Kirby, who's the AD at Texas Tech that hired him? Kirby Hocutt. You have to maybe go back and, and ask yourself: Was Matt Wells the best coach I could have hired? Matt Wells is a hell of a coach, but was that the best decision to make? And now you look at the Arizona Cardinals, and they're winning with. Cliff Kingsbury and you got you showed him the door and then I mean you know you, you're just kind of sitting there going I mean maybe you need to look in the mirror a little bit or maybe you just need to kind of stand up for your guy stand and that's the problem with some of these ADs they're basically politicians right and then they don't they're not gonna you know they're gonna pretend like they're supporting their guy and standing in the trenches with him up until the big boosters call and say hey look uh, you know that uh, donation I was going to send in that check. I've kind of – I have that check sitting here on my kitchen table with your address on it, and it's it's about to go in the mail, but we need to talk about a few things before before that happens. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and, and boosters have always had influence at, at different schools. Don't get me wrong, but, man, oh, man, these days, just the panic and the the, the desire to pull the plug. You know, it, it it's like uh, – it's like online dating in a lot of ways when, when you're like, you know, 25 years old, because it's like, you know, you're, you're just going to date everybody you can, oh, her and then her. And if you're a girl, you're going to say, I'll date him. And then I'll date him. And then if I just get sick of it, I'll pull the plug and I'll restart my app and, and you know, all that good stuff. It's just <laughs> kind of like that. And you panic, you know, Oh, well he did. Well, he, he, he didn't put his napkin in his lap and you've been out on eight dates, you know, uh, and you've had some deep conversations, but ah, he didn't put his napkin in his lap when we went to Red Lobster, and he ate four too many Cheddar Bay biscuits. And so, oh, my God, I'm gone. I'm pulling the plug. I'm starting my app up again. That's what this reminds me of, the irrationality of dating in your early 20s. Okay? That's exactly what this crap reminds me of. And I agree with Lincoln Riley. Now, there, there are going to be no rules to, to outlaw it. There's going to be nothing, you know, until we have like a czar of college football that can kind of implement policies and stuff, it's never going to happen. But there's a couple of things at play. And, and, and we, we talked about recruiting a lot this show, Mike. That's what caused people to sort of panic. And it's weird. It, it's almost weird because the the reason for the urgency that I get when I hear people, oh, we're going to make a move right now so we can get a head start and, and get our guy because we have that December recruiting period. And they don't pay attention to the fact that, you know, most of these classes are pretty full. What about the players you got committed? Are they just automatically not worth a crap because your old coach got them? You don't know that, especially if you're an administrator. or a, And most fans don't know it either. Um, and, and so you look at it. And, and so what's the number one thing that kills a recruiting class? It's not losing. Everybody thinks that. Fans think that because they live and die with every loss. They recruits do the same thing. They don't. All recruiting decisions are based on one thing. It's called comfort level. Now, wins and losses can cause your comfort level to go up or down with a program. Uh, a coach leaving assistant can cause you to go up or down. Comfort, comfort, comfort level, right? Your parents, your grades, whatever. It's all based on comfort level. The comfort level with recruits, when you have a coaching change, plummets. Mass defections. Even if you go hire a great coach, mass defections. Urban Meyer's first class at Florida – Look it up sometimes. See how many of those guys really contributed to those national championship teams. But then 
look at Urban Meyer's second class and how good it was and how all those guys contributed. Um, And so you're trying to head something off. And most coaches that are good are probably not even going to come. If they they want to take your job, they're not going to come until like December. And so you're only going to have 10 days anyway. So it makes absolutely no sense in the world to tell Gary Patterson, who is basically the, the best coach in TCU history, that, hey, we're going to make a change and well, we'd like to honor you and all this other stuff and uh, and all that and, you know, give you the rocking chair and, and, and send you out in the sunset. No, hell no. You know, I'm not doing that. It, it, well, okay, then, then why, 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 why is this even necessary? You know, why, why go through an interim coach? You confuse your players. And I guarantee you, TCU's got some ball players that are going to go straight into the portal as soon as they can because of this. Because that all because nowadays, you, you also have to worry about keeping your roster intact because of the immediate eligibility. Um, so I, I just don't think it makes much sense at all uh, to continue to, to pull the plug this early. You know, I, I, and I go back to Southern Cal and Clay Helton. Why not fire him last year? Was it did was it because of COVID? Okay, well, if last year didn't count, why are you firing him two games in this year? Uh, you know, I, I just I don't get it at all. I, Ed Orgeron, to a certain extent, because of the off the field stuff that was surrounding him, Gold Tigers. Uh, that I, I halfway got. They're like, all right, Ed's going to step aside. After the season's over, and we're going to go another direction. Ed's 61 years old, 60 years old anyway. He, he's achieved a lifelong dream. You know, I, I get that. But, man, Lincoln Riley is right to call out Gary Patterson and that situation and even Matt Wells, who did have a winning record. I just – I think fans get too impatient. I think boosters freak out for no reason. Uh, I think a lot of it's related to early recruiting – which which people don't really understand nor grasp that, hey, your new coach, I don't care who it is, they're not going to be able to come in and put together a great class in 10 days. Nobody can. Nobody can. You used to have 30 days. Now you got 10. Um, so, so that's going to be a wash anyway. You're risking alienating your players and sending them to the portal prematurely before they you even have a chance to hire a new guy. Um, so I, I agree with Lincoln that the – the, the negatives far outweigh the positives uh, when it comes to these midseason coaching changes. I think you just you end up doing it net, you know, more harm than good at the end of the day when you consider all the factors. I'm going to add on to your uh, your dating app analogy in terms of the fans when all these firings happen and, and many of them are driven by the fans. They're they're out there on Bumble and they're swiping right on everybody that looks like Brooklyn Decker, and who they're actually going to wind up with is Helen Hunt. And there's nothing wrong with Helen Hunt. Let me just say for the record, Helen Hunt is a fine woman. If she came to my door, I'm happily married, but I I'd invite her in for a cup of tea and say, Helen, um, you know, I, I enjoy your work, and you know, you still got it, but but the fans all think, no, 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 I want the supermodel of today. And, and why wouldn't the supermodel of today want to date me? Look at me. I'm a, I'm a 40-year-old insurance salesman. And, and every now and then, you know, my mom lets me get out of the basement and use the kitchen. But you're not always going to be in, in high demand in that scenario. Uh, but you just think that when you're mad at, at every loss and every season that doesn't go your way, to go ahead and just fire them. 
fire him, fire him. We're going to get better with the next one. And you fire him and you fire. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Then you start getting mad at administrators. You want to fire them. And you, you, you find out that you just keep winding up in the same place, if not worse. So that is just where that is modern day college football. And look, it's great for the people that cover the sport. I've said this before. The number one thing, the most fun thing to talk about, whether it's podcasts like this one, whether it's talk shows, is what happens on the field. The number two thing is coaching chaos. Coaching chaos keeps a lot of people in business year round. JC, you know what, what that's what that's all about, running a, a, a website. I mean, you get to do it for three, four sports, coaching chaos. Fans can't get enough of coaching chaos, and when they're angry, they want to spew their venom and they want to demand change. And that's that's just like a universal thing now across the country. It's not just uh, endemic to the SEC. It's just it's hyper volatile in the Southeastern Conference in college football for sure. Yeah. And then look, and, 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 and from a business standpoint, there's nothing better than a coaching search. I mean, the speculation alone, um, you know, drives traffic, memberships activity, whatever you want to say, especially on the web. Um, but is it good for the game? I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I would rather with my website, especially now after the last seven years, <laughs> I'd rather have uh, fans get more excited about results on the field or the court than, you know, massive amounts of change. Unfortunately, I think there's probably more change coming at South Carolina at some point in the near future. But uh, I, uh, I, I think that's, that, that's the thing. And, it, and at some point, Mike, the, the game we all love with all the changes that are taking place is going to become a little unrecognizable. If you have massive amounts of players changing schools every year, um, fans are going to lose a little love for the players, you know, because it's going to be more like the pros. If you have constant coaching changes, you know, you, you don't have a chance for anybody to get going. Football is a sport where you have to build. It's a developmental sport. You have to not only – you got to go recruit. There's not a recruiting class, Alabama or anybody else's sign, that you can just bring in in and of itself and win big with. You've got to have existing players and older players that develop. Sure, you can have the younger ones to it. But uh, just because you get a one good recruiting class, that doesn't mean instantly you're going to be big time. I think fans miss the boat on that. Um, you know, all these changes are, are probably not good uh, for the sport, but they are good for, you know, businesses and stuff. And it's fun to talk about. Don't get me wrong. I love talking to coaching carousel. Uh, but uh, I uh, – you know, um, curious to see who gets that LSU job too, boy. I've heard some, I've heard some names. <laughs> Doozies, yeah. Look, yeah. I, I think the the obsession with this is we we all we all have been in fantasy leagues, right? Um, yeah, we, we all think we're we're like the smartest GM in the room, and so we all like to play that game. I think that that's harmless, but I, I'll tell you that the only people that it's good for. It's good for Nick Saban at Alabama. It's good for Kirby Smart at Georgia. It's good for Ryan Day at Ohio State. It's good for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. It's good for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Because these are programs that don't have that same type of turbulence. And, and they're about as steady Eddie as it comes. And so while all the commotion and smoke is, is filtering throughout college football, they're, they're immune to that for the most part. And, and it's not a coincidence why they're constantly – uh, playing for the same stakes. 
Haney, that was a long answer to your rather intelligent and insightful question. And we just got off on a riff there, but that's what we do. You, on Jason. You know what? Uh, I, I know both of you gentlemen, so I think nothing of it. <laughs> you expect us to be uh, very thorough. I would have been very disappointed if you were not thorough in your answers. Yeah. That's because you're putting, you're putting out good questions today in your, yeah, well, thanks, in your Mike. debut. And so, you know, when Haney's hot headlines come, JC and I got to bring the heat that is commensurate. Yeah. You got to keep them, you got to keep them warm, man. You got to keep that's them warm. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think that's what we did. Do you have anything else? I, I we, we've already gone over an hour on this. This thing flies by when we've got somebody kind of, you know, helping the shoulder the load a little bit. I like this. Yeah, no, this is fun, man. This is, um, I haven't scratched this itch in a long time. I mean, I've, I've gone back on, on my old stomping grounds there at one Oh seven, five, the game back home in Columbia, South Carolina a few times in the, yeah. in the last year, but, but they're not going to challenge you the way never we have really gotten, gotten to deep dive, man. It's been a, been about six years since I've done anything close to resembling this. So yeah, well, it was fun. We're glad to have you. Uh, certainly hope to have you as a continual force on this. Uh, let you scratch that itch and even add some things. Again, our next podcast will be number 150, and there's so much more coming. We, Because we've had the success that we've had, we're, we're now at a point where I think it's time to uh, broaden our horizons a little bit. And, uh, Michael, you'll be a part of that. Appreciate uh, you chiming in, and best of luck uh, in your next Nashville uh, tour you're going to like the bahamas you're doing all the cool stuff that uh, that jc and i never do yeah i um I, I will not be able to join uh next week's podcast because i, I will be on the famed rock boat uh hosted by by my uh employers and good friend sister hazel so yeah i'll get uh I'll get to see exactly what's going on in the world of college football and college sports in in a couple of weeks time all right. Well, hopefully your head will still be clear enough when you get back to, to put together another uh, Haney's yeah. Hot Headlines. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be plenty to yeah. talk about. Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. This is Absolutely. Blast. Thank you. He is Michael Haney. JC, any closing thoughts before we sign off here today on episode number 149? No. Great, uh, great time today. Had a lot of fun. Felt like I was on today. <laughs> Personally, felt like you guys were on. I think Good we all vibes. brought our A game today. I, I'll say that my comfort level with this setup is very high. So I'm at mine too. I, th- I think uh, I think you and I have shouldered a lot of weight here on this. We started off on Skype. We couldn't even get guests on. Then we've kind of broadened our horizons to Zoom. Had some great guests. We've been able to put together some uh, some stuff, and uh, we'll keep doing this and having fun with it. So look forward to uh, chatting with everybody next week for. J.C. Sherbert and Michael Haney. This is Mike Morgan saying so long. Enjoy the weekend, a great weekend of games, hopefully. And we will be back with you next week. Take care.